From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition. The president has been clear from the start to protect the American people. So when a huge we stand at an inflection point in our history, in my view. The choices we make, in my view, in the next, in this moment, are going to fundamentally determine the direction our world is going to take in the coming decades. That was President Biden this morning providing the opening remarks at his two-day summit for democracy. The virtual confab has the stated purpose of sounding the alarm over the weakened state of democracy around the globe. In his remarks, President Biden said he is reviving America's democracy with his trillion-dollar spending plans. We'll talk with uh, Dr. Dave Bratt, former Virginia congressman and now dean of Liberty's University, Liberty University School of Business, a little later. And speaking of big government. The federal government has no authority to make anyone choose between getting a vaccine and keeping their job. Today, this body will stand up against this overreach. That was Indiana Senator Mike Braun last night on the Senate floor leading the effort to challenge the private business vaccine mandate. We'll talk with North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer, who was a part of the effort, about last night's vote and a vote by the Senate earlier this afternoon that has set the stage to raise the debt ceiling. We will uh, get the latest from Capitol Hill from Harris, Harris Alec, congressional reporter with The Washington Times, in just a moment. And the House is in a series of votes, but Tennessee Congressman Mark Green is scheduled to join us with an update from the House, just off the House floor, a little later here on Washington Watch. And the Uyghur Tribunal in London released its findings this morning on its inquiry into genocide against the Uyghurs by the Chinese Communist Party. On the basis of evidence heard in public... The tribunal is satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that the PRC, by the imposition of measures to prevent births intended to destroy a significant part of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, as such, has committed genocide. That was Sir Jeffrey Nice, chair of the tribunal. We'll talk with Bob Fu, senior fellow for international religious freedom here at the Family Research Council and president of China Aid. Bob will also fill us in on actions by Congress last night designed to hold China accountable for their human rights abuses. And finally, our friends over at Samaritan Spurs need volunteers. The Christmas holidays are a great time to join them in their efforts to minister minister to those in need. We'll get the latest on the hurricane recovery efforts in Louisiana from Luther Harrison, Vice President of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse. And let me remind you, tomorrow is the last day in our stand mug giveaway. So if you'd like to uh, win a stand mug, just text the word mug to 67742 and tell us what you stand for and why. That's what you need to do for a chance to win a stand mug. And today's stand mug, stand mug winner is Tracy from Wisconsin. Tracy shared this. She said, I stand for Jesus first. As an administrator in a public school, FRC has given me resources to help stand up for the gospel and for our country. Instead of getting angry and being silent, I've learned to listen to my colleagues and then speak truth into the midst of chaos, end quote. Well, you know what? 
Tracy, we're encouraged to hear that, and we are happy to stand with you. Congratulations on winning winning your stand mug. Again, for your chance to win a stand mug, 15 ounces of pure U.S.-made ceramic, just text the word MUG to 67742. Follow the links over to enter. Message send rates vary. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to cancel help for help and visit frc.org slash text for terms and conditions. All right, last night the Senate passed a Congressional Review Act resolution to repeal the Biden administration's emergency temporary standard that forced businesses with 100 or more employees to mandate COVID vaccinations or testing and masking. Now, two Democratic senators, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and John Tester of Montana, joined all 50 Republicans in voting for the formal challenge to the president's mandate. It now needs to pass the Democratic-controlled House, where all 212 Republicans have co-sponsored the House version of the resolution. Joining me now to tell us what's ahead for this resolution is Harris Alec. He's a Capitol Hill reporter for The Washington Times. Alec, welcome back to uh, Harris. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me on, Tony. Uh, It's wonderful to be with you today. Uh, This resolution, as we saw last night, got 52 votes in the Senate. Two moderate Democrats, John Tester and uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, crossed over and actually voted for this thing. And, I mean, it's very, very difficult, I think, uh, as someone who's who's followed politics, to uh, see Senator Manchin and Senator Tester vote with all 50 Republicans and not have to be taken back and realize this is a very, very big issue. And it's also probably an issue that is significantly unpopular because, as we know, Senator Tester and Senator Manchin, uh, God bless their hearts, you know, they're not ones to necessarily always play, uh, to always break uh, party lines. They only do so if the issue is really pressing and if it's something that's going to significantly impact their constituents and is so politically unpopular. Uh, we saw this with the Kavanaugh hearings, and, and we're seeing it again now with uh, this vaccine mandate. And this measure now goes over the House, where, as you said, 212 Republicans have co-sponsored a uh, discharge petition, a petition that would essentially force this bill to the floor if House Speaker Nancy Pelosi does not want to bring it up herself. As of right now, they need about five Democrats to sign on to this petition. They have about a month, um, just because of the way the House procedures end up working, uh, they wouldn't be able to bring this legislation to the floor until January 4th or January 5th, which I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people are going to be home for the holidays. A lot of these congressmen are going to be home for the holidays. They're going to be hearing about this issue from their constituents, specifically as most of these mandates really start coming into effect. They've only been eased in uh, certain industries as of right now, but starting in early January, they're going to be effective for most of the country, uh, provided the courts don't issue any further stays. And this is going to be really problematic. I mean, I'm talking to Republican congressmen, I'm talking to labor organizations, I'm talking to uh, trade organizations and business groups who are uh, hearing from their constituents, hearing from their members every single day who are saying this is something they're deathly afraid of. And most people who uh, oppose these mandates are not um, anti-vaccine. Most of them, you know, obviously have their booster shots. Most of them uh, have been vaccinated, but they oppose the idea that their jobs could be uh, taken away from them uh, simply because they choose not to be vaccinated. It's kind of funny because uh, President Biden obviously has been the Amtrak president, or he uh, uh, sold himself as the Amtrak president. But today, Amtrak CEO testified in front of the House Transportation Committee, and he said that they're going to start cutting services uh, to certain lines simply because of the fact that 1,200 of their employees are not vaccinated. That's potentially 1,200 people who are going to lose their jobs because of a vaccine mandate being implemented by the so-called Amtrak president, Tony. So, Harris, let me ask you this question. Is this more than a symbolic vote, given the uphill climb in the House? 
the fact that, as you said, many of these members are going to be back in their districts and they're going to be hearing from their constituents during the holidays. Absolutely. I mean, look, this obviously takes a um, this obviously faces very, very long odds in the House. You know, House Democrats uh, have a way of uh, sticking together more so than Senate Democrats do. But I think more than that, I mean, what we saw last night was we saw 52 percent, of the, you know, 52 members of the Senate rebuke a sitting president for his vaccine mandate. Um, even if this issue doesn't come to a head in the House, it's something that has obviously galvanized so many people to even uh, come up with a CRA vote. I mean, the Congressional Review Act has only been invoked in so many instances. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, people can say, well, when if, if, if this doesn't end up passing the House, the president's going to veto it, and that's probably going to end up being the case. But I think, um, as Senator John Hogan said yesterday, it would, it would be a very, very powerful rebuke of the president uh, and his vaccine mandate if both houses of Congress, uh, you know, decided yeah. to invoke this, uh, uh, in, in, decided to invoke the CRA and overturn this mandate by a bipartisan margin. The very, very fact that, again, Senator Manchin and Senator Tester broke party lines uh, shows just how significantly unpopular this mandate is as of right now. I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be fascinating uh, to watch. Harris, uh, thanks so much for joining. It's always great to, uh, to talk with you. Always a pleasure, Tony. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Uh, Harris Alec with uh, The Washington Times. Joining me now by phone to talk about the importance of this push against the Biden administration and also to give us an update on the efforts to raise the debt ceiling in the Senate is Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, who is a member of the Senate Budget Committee, Banking Committee and Armed Services Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. So uh, we were just discussing, you probably heard part of the conversation mm-hmm. there with Harris, that, you know, the, the, there's going to be pressure on members of the House, Democratic members, to support this, just as we saw the bipartisan effort there in the Senate. Of course, the president committed to, to veto this. But this is, uh, this is quite significant because I think it sets up a, another one of those contrasts between the Republican and Democratic uh, leadership, leadership bodies of this country. There's no question, Tony. And, you know, the one thing about the House of Representatives, and I had the great honor of serving six years there. I know you did as well. You know it's, a, it's, it's designed by our founders to be responsive to the voters. And um, you have a very narrow majority, of course, that, that, that led by Democrats. But that narrow majority, of course, doesn't have a lot of room for, for partisan politics if, in fact, they want to maintain the majority. And so I think it's going to be fascinating to see what these swing, st- swing district Democrats do when confronted with this you know, very obvious, in my view, very obvious opportunity to differentiate themselves from their socialist brothers and sisters that are really running the Democratic House. What would you say to those who say, well, look, this is, you know, the president's going to veto this. This is a waste of time. Why are you doing this? Well, first of all, a couple of things. One is force the veto. Um, second of all, if symbols do matter. If it's a symbolic vote, it's a reflection. By the way, you know, the, the country is about this, divided about the same way uh, on, this, on this specific issue. It's when you get to the finer points of it, like you can lose your job. You know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the fines to businesses are like $13,600 per, you know, violation. I mean, that, that's when it really loses its steam. And so I think it's important to, to state the case. I think the votes matter because it sends the message. And remember, it also provides an opportunity, along with the courts, as you know, uh, the uh, Fifth Circuit has already put a, a nationwide stay on this mandate. It provides an off-ramp for the president if he wants to say, look, um, I think this is a good idea. I, uh, obviously, I... I uh, tried to mandate it. The courts have put a stay on it. You know, the Congress has spoken. 
uh, you know, the people have spoken through their representatives. Um, I, I'll withdraw the rulemaking. He could actually or yeah. withdraw the executive order. He could actually be somewhat heroic right. in this if right. he handled it the right way. And you know, I don't have a lot of hope for that, Tony. By the way, but know, I think Bill it's Clinton an responded that way back in the, in the '90s, kind of saying, "All right, look, I, I know I'm boxed in," and he looked reasonable. So I think you're absolutely right. I, I, we just got about a minute left. I, I want to quickly get your read on the actions by the Senate earlier today to set up the debt ceiling increase. Where does that stand? So we're going to have the final vote tonight. It, as you know, they, they, they boxed a lot of members in, all of us, in, in, in a tough spot. Um, there is this, the, uh, the cuts to Medicare, Medicaid, some farm programs, other things that are important to the country that, that need to be extended. Not the cuts, but, but the, the you know, repeal of them for a while because of this pandemic. But they tied that to a procedural you know, rule that allows uh, Democrats to raise the debt ceiling all by themselves, something that uh, we've said all along, that Mitch McConnell said all along um, they'd have to do. So it's a little bit wonky. It's a little bit weird. It's going to pass with, uh, you know, prob- probably 12, 14, 15 Republicans joining all the Democrats. Um, tough spot to be in, but next week it'll be Democrats alone that will be raising the debt ceiling. And they should because they're doing all the debt increasing. Well, that's right. They're doing all the spending. Uh, Senator Kramer, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us tonight. And uh, if I don't talk to you before, have a very Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, Tony. All right. Coming up, we've talked about some of the bad provisions that were removed from the National Defense Authorization Act. But what were some of the good amendments that made it in? We'll talk about that after the break with Congressman Mark Green. He joins us uh, from the House floor. So don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch still to come on this edition. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. 
To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, over the past couple of days, we've highlighted on this program how efforts by Republican lawmakers and those at the grassroots, that means you, were successful in stripping away many of the bad provisions from the National Defense Authorization Act. As we mentioned, uh, over 200,000 contacts were made uh, by uh, FRC supporters, Washington Watch listeners, to members on Capitol Hill. And it was, rema- it was amazing to, uh, to see actually these bad uh, provisions removed. Now, this is an annual must-pass spending bill that authorizes funding and sets policy for the U.S. military and defense programs. Now, in particular, we, uh, we've highlighted that portion that would have forced young women to register for the draft. But Republican lawmakers were also able to get some good language added into the NDAA. Among them was amendment banning dishonorable discharges for service members who refuse the COVID shots. With me now to talk about this and more is the congressman who introduced that amendment, U.S. Congressman Mark Green, who is a decorated combat veteran, ER physician, as well as a member of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis. He represents the 7th Congressional District of Tennessee. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on, Tony. Great to hear your voice. And I know you're just off the House floor and you're going to have to run uh, and vote here in a moment. So we're going to jump right into this. Tell our viewers and listeners what this amendment means for the men and women in uniform that you were able to get into the NDAA. Well, there was this big threat, uh, Tony, that they would basically discharge with a dishonorable discharge or an other than honorable discharge members who refuse the vaccine. Uh, Their point, of course, is that it's a failure to obey a direct or verbal order. But the truth of the matter is we we don't have longitudinal data. The data we have right now looks pretty good, but the, the, you know, the the longitudinal data is just not there. So if a, a soldier chooses not to get that, they were going to give them a dishonorable discharge. So my uh, amendment essentially. Hey, Mark, if I can stop, Mark, if I can stop you for just a moment, explain a little bit about what that means to get a dishonorable discharge. Well, it's 
it devastates the life of a soldier. If you have a dishonorable discharge, you can't buy a gun. Uh, you can't uh, get basically employment everywhere you go. They ask, did you serve in the military? Yes. What was your discharge? Well, it was dishonorable. Well, that, no one hires people like that. I mean, it, it would devastate the life of, of any soldier. And we're talking about people, you know, 18 years of service, multiple tours of duty, great, you know, these are folks that are doing outstanding work for the country, and they're talking about, or we're talking about, dishonorably discharging them, putting them Just because that. they would not get the COVID shot. Exactly. And the president, you know, I passed the amendment unanimously in the House Armed Services Committee, meaning 100% of the Democrats have side effects or uh, that but, it just. But uh, the uh, president wanted it stripped off. So 100% of the House Democrats voted for my amendment, meaning, you know, protecting these folks. And the president wanted it stripped off. So it just tells you where Joe Biden was headed with all this. That's amazing. I mean, and most people don't really understand what a dishonorable discharge means. It doesn't mean it's not like you just get fired from a job. This follows no. you all of your life and is yep. uh, it really makes you a second class citizen. And, and as you pointed out, these are men and women who have served honorably, put their lives on the line. Many of them have have suffered the consequences of multiple combat tours and, and we're going to dishonorably discharge them because they won't submit to this shot. Amazing. That, that's exactly what the president wanted to do. Well, thank you for standing up for them and, and leading the effort and not giving up. And this is what I think made the NDAA effort this time successful. And I've been part of a lot of these battles over the last 20 years. And oftentimes you, it's kind of you, you shoot and scoot. You, you fire a shot and then you move on to the next battle. But you guys stuck with this kind of everybody leaned in on this and we got a positive outcome. Still some issues with the NDAA. I'm not going to gloss over everything, but by and large, a good outcome. Yeah, the, the trick with this is I think a lot of people didn't understand that when we passed it the first time on the floor of the House, that was to get it to conference committee. You know, the floor of the House is the most liberal part of the process for making a bill. And to fix these kinds of bills, we have to get them into conference committee. So a lot of Republicans voted to move it to conference committee, which confused some people. But that was so that we could strip red flag laws, you know, drafting our daughters and, of course, get amendments like mine on permanently. Uh, one one more question for you, uh, Congressman Mark Green. Uh, last night, the Senate voted to overturn President Biden's uh, shot or test mandate for businesses. And we were just talking with Senator Kramer a few moments ago. That comes over to the House now, this uh, Congressional Review Act. I know 212 Republicans have already signed on to it, but you got to get to 218 for a discharge petition to force a vote on this on the House floor. Do you think this has a chance in the House? I, I would give it a, you know, 50-50 shot. I mean, there are Democrats who said they support it. You know, I, I haven't done a whip count on it. Will we get six more? Uh, it, it's hard to say, but I, I think there's at least a 50-50 shot. Well, we'll be watching that uh, very closely. It's uh, I think it's important to yeah. uh, to give the American people a voice in this, and they do that through their elected representatives. Yes, sir. Exactly. I, I know you got to run. Thanks so much for taking time to uh, step off the floor to uh, to join us, Congressman Green. Thanks, Tony. And if I don't talk to you again before the holidays, Merry Christmas. Thank you, my friend. Same to you.
All right, folks, this is an opportunity for you to weigh in. As you've heard from uh, Senator Kramer and Congressman Mark Green, 50-50 chance that uh, this might happen, but it won't happen unless you weigh in. And so I would encourage you to contact uh, your uh, members of con- your member of Congress. You can uh, go to TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over, and utilize the tools we have available. But you may see them. Some of them may have some be brave enough to have some town hall meetings between uh, now and when they return to Washington after the first of the year. But I would encourage you to uh, to be a part of that. All right. Again, let me remind you: you can uh, text in mug to 67742. Get one day left to win a stand mug made in the USA. So text mug to 67742. Tell us what you stand for and why, and you'll be entered to win a stand mug. All right, don't go away. We'll be back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Hey, last night, the, uh, the House of Representatives passed uh, three measures dealing with China. Uh, one was legislation to ban imports from uh, China's uh, Xinjiang, Xinjiang province where, over concerns with forced labor. Now, one of the three measures backed 
overwhelmingly as Washington continues to push back against Beijing's treatment of uh, Uyghur Muslims. Bob Fu is going to be joining us, but he's held up in traffic. So we're going to talk about that uh, more tomorrow. But this is significant because we're now seeing a lot of uh, forces coalescing to address, uh, as we heard earlier in the program, at the stop of the program, the Uyghur Tribunal has come out with their report saying, yes, uh, what is happening in China with the Uyghurs is genocide. Uh, so uh, my next guest will actually be covering that, I think, tomorrow when he fills in for me. Joining me now to talk about a, uh, a Supreme Court case that was uh, here in Washington this week, which is quite significant, Joseph Backholm. Joseph. Tony, good to see you. I don't know that I've ever, we've ever been on the set together. Not like this. No. Yeah. So. Well, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you. Early. You'll be here Thank tomorrow. You. I will be here tomorrow. Look, a uh, big case on uh, the, at the Supreme Court, oral arguments in a school choice case. Tell us about it. Yeah. Carson v. Macon, uh, last argument that the Supreme Court heard this term, in my opinion, one of the most significant, I don't know if it's more significant than Dobbs, but I, I would put it in the same uh, level because the, the question is, can a state school choice program exclude schools that include religious education? And most of the country has what they call Blaine Amendments, which right, say right, right. you cannot use public dollars for religious instruction. Now, there was a case... Was last last year in uh, was it Montana? Espinoza. Yeah, Espinoza out of Montana. It's a very similar, slightly different case. The Espinoza question was: Can a religious organization be excluded because it's a religious organization? Now it's slightly narrower. Can a can a religious organization be excluded because it provides religious instruction? And it's, it's, it seems like a distinction without a difference, but it wasn't. And there was a conversation between the chief justice and Christopher Taub, uh, the attorney from Maine, that kind of clarified this. And Justice Roberts asked a question, well, what if there's two religious schools and one has a religion that requires them to teach their religious instruction and the other does not? And the answer from Maine was essentially the religious school that does not provide religious instruction would be eligible. The religious school that does not would not be eligible. Well, doesn't teaching religion make one a religious school? Not necessarily, because there are non-evangelistic uh, religions. There are some who don't feel compelled to share their religion. And the problem that the court had, at least in the questioning, the apparent concern they had, is the government should not be in the business of examining religious beliefs and religious doctrines and finding out which doctrines they find acceptable, like evangelism. Well, wouldn't there be a way, just like the IRS deals with issues with like C3s. If you do a certain amount of political activity in the C3, you've got to remove that from the tax exemption portion. Well, there's actually a case out of Vermont where that has kind of been discussed at the Second Circuit. Yesterday, the Supreme Court didn't seem interested in that. They were really evaluating the question of whether the government can look at a religious institution and say, your curriculum is okay, therefore we will fund you, and yours is not. But doesn't that put the, the Supreme Court and the government into a position of evaluating religion? Well, it, we're trying to get out of that because right. the, we're, we're saying that's what the state of Maine is doing is by disqualifying uh, religious instruction, you're, you're preferring some religious right. organizations to another. That violates the First Amendment. So it would... The court has been very narrow in a lot of their decisions, right. which keeps us going back, as you said, this issue. It is, there is a distinction, but it's very similar. Right. We keep going back to these same kind of scenarios yeah. simply because the court won't rule more broadly on the issue. I, I think you're right, and, and 
We hope they don't do this in Dobbs, but that is why we're here, because it's a slightly narrower question than the court dealt with in Espinoza just last year. The good news is that we think Espinoza, combined with the response from the court yesterday in the oral arguments, indicates that they are going to strike down these restrictions so the states cannot discriminate against religious schools. That opens up a whole bunch of opportunities. So you, you based upon the questions and statements by the justices, there's a, a sense that the court could rule on the right side of religious freedom? Yes. Based on the arguments and the panic that we've seen from the left in the 20, last 24 hours, I think yes. I think that so, appears to be what the consensus that's is. That's always a good indication. You, could, you don't even right. have to read the headlines or read the story. Just look at the, uh, the right. pictures that's and exactly see right. how the left is panicking. You know, I, I, we've seen that in the Dobbs case where they've just gone silent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't really show up to the court uh, you know, in terms of the outside uh, demonstrations, and they're not saying a whole lot. It's almost as if they've resigned themselves to the fact that Roe is headed to the dustbin of history. I think in some ways they have, yes. And I think I'm just so thankful for the new additions to the Supreme Court because we're seeing, I mean, the opportunity here would be for every school choice program in the country, and there have been 13 additional states that have expanded or created just in 2021 school choice programs. Right. Churches in those states would be eligible for them. So, Joseph, do you think this is a, uh, a booster shot, so to speak, uh, for school choice? Uh, it, it sure should be, yes. It, I mean, we know that the demand is there. Uh, the, the ability to afford, to afford private education is the problem, the, the potential of every family in America. And that could, be, that could absolutely be huge. As it much as we talk about you know, the indoctrination of public education to give true choice to parents, in you know, religious education like this could be quite significant. They want the choice. We may be give, we may be on the verge of parents having choice in ways they have never, at least in the last hundred years in America. Wow, wow. Joseph, back home. Always uh, great to talk with you. Great to see you in person. Thanks, so. All right, and uh, tomorrow you'll be in the seat. Well, folks, don't go away because I'm not done yet. I'm not going to let Joseph take the mic just yet. When we come back, we're going to hear from uh, Luther Harrison. We're going to get an update on what is happening in Louisiana and the efforts there responding to the hurricanes from this past summer. The work is still going on. So don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. 
Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Well, Merry Christmas and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, it's been a little more than three months since Hurricane Ida made landfall near Port Fouchon, Louisiana, bringing catastrophic winds, heavy rainfall and flooding. It went on to pummel the northeast with torrential rains, ultimately leading to more than 90 deaths across nine states. The uh, deadly and destructive Category 4 hurricane was the second most damaging and intense hurricane to make landfall in Louisiana behind Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. And it is the fourth costliest Atlantic hurricane in the United States, having caused at least $65 billion in damage. And today, many communities that were hit by the hurricane are still pulling themselves out of the destruction. Here to give us an update is Luther Harrison, Vice President of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse, who is on the ground there. They've been on the ground since day one, and they do tremendous work, and it's always great to work alongside them. Luther, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, Tony, thank you uh, for having us on this evening, and just I really appreciate all you do to keep uh, the public aware of there are still some great needs down in the Louisiana area that uh, these families need our help. I mean, I know firsthand how that is. The, the news comes in, they report on the, you know, the, the the big stuff, and then they move on, and people are literally years putting their lives back together. I mean, we're, they're still uh, repairing stuff from the floods back in 2016. So give us a sense of uh, what's happening on the ground and what folks can do. I mean, this is a great time of year. People, Some people are off school uh, out off of work, and uh, they could volunteer. Tell them how they can do that. Well, Tony, perfectly between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day, uh, a lot of people are really reflecting on what we're thankful for, what God has blessed us with. And as uh, a lot of people in the Louisiana area are not going to have a normal Christmas this year. They can't live in their homes. They're full of black mold. They've still got roofs that leak. So we've been able to minister to 1,300 families plus, and we still have over 700 families asking for help. 
And a lot of groups have already left, Tony. They uh, are emailing that they have completed their work. Uh, everything's done. But we see that we will be there at least into January, possibly February, just doing uh, the recovery efforts of tarping roofs, cutting trees, helping them salvage anything from their homes that can be salvaged. And just going in and show them that God loves them, especially at Christmas, uh, what the free gift God gave us, that we want to share a free gift with them and help them not only physically, but most importantly, spiritually and emotionally. So, Luther, what are the greatest needs right now that our viewers and listeners can help with? Well, the greatest need right now, Tony, is for volunteers, people that can come. You do not have to have a set skill, but just a willing heart to come alongside these families and just be their hands and feet to help them uh, clear this up. We have staff there with the tools and equipment and leadership uh, in three different areas. We're still up in Hammond, down in Metairie, and also down in Homa, trying to uh, partner with these local churches to uh, show Christ-like love, especially at Christmas time these families, that God loves them, He hasn't forgotten them, and that He has sent us to help on His behalf. And of course, the good news is now it's not August uh, when the heat index is about 110 degrees there in South yeah, Louisiana. It's, it's very refreshing. People up north, people, anyone that listens, that just, if God would tug on your heart, one of the best gifts you can give is going along and just being that good Samaritan. And we've got the trails and the paths that God has laid out for us to find these folks that are in the ditch of life. And let's help them uh, get up off on their feet and get cleaned up and get back on the path. And I, and I know from firsthand experience and working alongside Samaritan's Purse that you do not waste any time. Uh, it is well organized and executed. You will not be disappointed if you want to help and minister. This is a great way to do it as a family, a church group can go. Uh, tell folks, Luther, how they can find out more about volunteering with Samaritan's Purse. Well, go to SamaritansPurse.org, our website, and the volunteer button is there. If you need to talk to someone and ask questions, concerns that you would have, we have our volunteer coordinators that are more than happy to answer any of your questions. And our goal is to make this a, a wonderful Christian Christian missionary experience for you. All right. Luther, always great to talk with you. If I don't see you before, have a very Merry Christmas. Well, God bless you and Merry Christmas, and we look forward to a prosperous new year serving the Lord. Amen. Amen. Folks, if you can, it's a great way to help. And again, Samaritan's Purse is one of those organizations our family personally supports. When I was pastoring in South Louisiana, we hosted them after uh, the floods back in 2016. A great group to work with, and, and they share the love of Christ. In our church, we baptized over 100 people as a result of the ministry that we did in the wake of that flood. So uh, if you uh, want more information, go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, earlier today, President Biden kicked off a uh, two-day virtual summit for democracy that the U.S. State Department says will focus on challenges and opportunities facing democracy. Uh, here's what uh, President Biden said earlier this morning. We stand at an inflection point in our history, in my view. The choices we make, in my view, in, the next, in this moment are going to fundamentally determine the direction our world is going to take in the coming decades. Now, he went on to talk about how he is reviving democracy in America by passing bills spending trillions of dollars. Is that the key to reviving democracy? Joining me now is Dr. Dave Bratt, Dean at Liberty University School of Business and a former member of Congress from Virginia. Dave, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. Appreciate it. So is democracy about uh, trillion dollar spending bills? 
No, I mean, I think the average American, if you just reflect simply for a minute, you'll see that the, uh, the increase in tensions we've had in civil society and getting along have increased uh, right in line with the increase in the size of the federal government. So I, I think it's just the opposite. We used to have a vibrant democracy. Uh, originally, the intent was to have uh, most of the government done at the state level. And uh, even state policy was a last resort if your locality or your local community or your church couldn't handle uh, the work that needed to be done. And so uh, we're in uncharted land. Of course, this is just a, a narrative created, right? Uh, the, the real issue uh, with democracy lies at home. The, the, the current administration's Department of Justice right. has labeled in writing parents uh, as domestic terrorists. Uh, these are law-abiding American citizens. Two women have had their homes uh, broken down with a with, with a giant police uh, presence. One woman is a gold gold star mother. Lost her son at war, and they went into his personal effects. This is all documented in the news. So this is this is just a bunch of uh, narrative talking points to cover the, the atrocities that, that are taking place uh, under our democratic government here at home. It, it's shocking. Yeah, I want to get into that because I want to get into what really what the core of democracy or self-government yeah. is. But I, yeah. I just one observation I had when I read this and, and read the president's speech, I don't I didn't listen to it. I read it, um, is that I, I juxtapose this to the Trump administration that did this, did a uh, ministerial to advance religious freedom. They were focused on human rights. They were focused on yeah. religious freedom as the yeah. core of freedom. And from that springs prosperity and stability. It's interesting yeah. that what the ground that this administration wants to chart is is kind of this nebulous uh, democracy. Uh, and it's yeah. just a humble, it's just a, a jumble of things. But yeah. let's talk about the rule of law, because the president actually in here talks about uh, the rule of law said we have to stand for justice in the rule of law, for free speech, for free assembly, for free press, freedom of religion, and all the inherent human rights of every individual. This is a guy that just trampled upon the Constitution mandating vac vaccines. And as you pointed yeah. out, his Department of Justice clamping down on moms and dads speaking out against the indoctrination in school. I think yeah. we have an issue of the rule of law in this country. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And, uh, it's, it is a, a bit of an irony, but it's it's true one that freedom, your your freedom and your human rights, require law, right? And so it, it, you scratch your head on that for a minute. But if you don't have the rule of law, you do not have human rights. And so that that is the crux of things. And of course, the rule of law comes out of the Judeo-Christian tradition, our founding, all the universities. I just read a great book by Barton again. All the all the universities at the founding, about 244 out of 266, uh, had presidents that were pastors, presidents of the universities, right? And the and the uh, the, the governance of our nation was very similar. Is all is all founded by godly men uh, who, uh, who who uh, had faith as their core, biblical faith as their core. And so, yeah, now that the the now now the giant increase in its crime wave across the United States. We all saw right. the riots across the country. Right. Not, not a word said or covered on the mainstream media. So I think we do need to get back to that, uh, that reporting and make sure that is covered because it is just crucial. You're seeing changes in the elections across Virginia. <clears throat> You're seeing huge changes in the electoral vote for Hispanics now 
favoring the Republican uh, side. And these opinions are mine. Right? These are all my own uh, personal opinions. I don't, I'm not speaking for any institution. Well, I want your opinions. Yeah, That's why yeah, I want well, <laughs> Yeah, and these are just factual matters well, that I'm, you, I'm, I'm laying out, too. Right? You talk about crime, this out today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With less than a month still left in the calendar year, this is from the AP, yeah. at least 12 U.S. cities have broken their annual homicide records in 2021, and there's still three weeks yeah. to go in the year. Uh, yeah. I, and you look at what's happening in California, where you have these uh, smash-and-grab robberies that are taking place. It's, yeah. it's lawlessness, and yeah. it's being modeled at the highest levels of our government. Yeah, well, back to the uh, U.S. citizens uh, labeled as domestic terrorists, and the terrorists are not labeled as terrorists, right? So the the religions that sponsor terror are not labeled uh, state sponsors of terror, but U.S. citizens are. So, I mean, that's all you need to say, right? That's all you should have to say. Uh, But it it is uh, increasingly a, a spiritual war out there which, of course, relies on a narrative war. And uh, on the conservative side, on the Christian side, uh, we we have a severe deficit of newsmakers. You're one of the great exceptions uh, that just stick out like a sore thumb uh, trying to say the truth uh, in in this upside-down world right now. But everyone out there needs to play their part in their churches, uh, with their kids' education, uh, making sure they're not indoctrinated. The rule of law is just central, and it, of course— precedes, right, Magna Carta at 1215, and then our founders, James Madison, all these folks, preceded Adam Smith and the free market system. And that that delivered the wealth. You also need uh, the rule of law to secure private property, which, of course, made us the richest country in the world. And now you're seeing problems with the economy that the market's going to crack up this year with certainty, probably lose 30 or 40 percent again. Well, that, that's what I want to go here for just a moment uh, yeah. as dean of uh, the School of Business. I mean, you've got a you've got a great handle on a number of topics, but economics kind of in your wheelhouse. Yeah. How can we have and, I, and I, this is kind of a rhetorical question because I, I we've seen over the last two decades what happens on Wall Street when it's unbridled by morality. But can yeah. we have a prosperous economy without the rule of law? Uh, no, you can't. And, uh, you know, unelected bureaucrats, you always hear that phrase. But one of the biggest unelected bureaucrats is called the Federal Reserve System. Uh, and they have created, you know, $7 trillion, uh, in funny money on their balance sheet. But you can go look that up. I'm not making that up. And so, you know, it, it looks like our economy, we have, a, you know, people can't find workers to hire right now. So it looks like it's kind of good, uh, but it's all on a sugar high. And so, again, we've lost track of, of true what it means to have a true democratic republic. Uh, where your electors uh, have to vote on these things out in public, that no one votes on what the Fed is doing. Uh, they're out, and they've become very political uh, over the years. You can just watch the, the, their cycle. Right. And then the debt ceiling just went up by $2.5 trillion again, most likely. Right. Yeah, tonight. Uh, and that's going to be devastating for the economy. That's more sugar high. And so, yeah, the real economy is hiding beneath this giant layer of, of stimulus. Uh, once that goes bye-bye... And it will, right? You can't sustain this rate of growth of uh, debt. We'll be at $45 trillion in debt by the end of this 10-year cycle, according to the Congressional Budget Office. So, yeah, our economy's fake right now. Everybody knows it. Wall Street knows it. Every analyst says it. You can go Google. Just go out to Yahoo News. 
everybody ought to investigate that, right? Go out to Yahoo News or any financial channel, and you'll see we're in a huge bubble right now. And now they're calling it in 08, 09, it was bad enough. We had a huge real estate bubble. Now it's called the everything bubble because that much money has gone into all asset classes, right? Every single equity is propped up by this amount of money uh, that's artificial. And yeah. so it's all going to come tumbling down. And uh, so everyone needs to get a little defensive right now with your investments. Yes. And uh, and, and get out of debt. Be uh, be wise with what you commit yourselves to. Right. Uh, right. Dave Bratt, always great to talk with you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, if I don't talk to you before, have a very Merry Christmas. You bet. God bless everyone out there. Merry Christmas. All right. Uh, Dr. Dave Bratt, Liberty University, Dean of uh, Business. Yeah, I, I want to very quickly, before we run out of time here, I want to talk about this issue of lawlessness because there's a temptation to say, well, look, everything's breaking down and, and you kind of go with the, the flow. This is, I, I've talked about this before, just warning us that, look, we uphold law by obeying the law. And, and I know there are times when we look at resistance when the laws are bad, and I know we could talk about the mandates, and that's not really a law. But I'm talking about how we're that lawlessness. We have to stand against the lawlessness, the spirit of lawlessness that the Scripture says is coming. But it is the presence of the Holy Spirit, really through the church, through believers, that keeps that spirit of lawlessness at bay. And you and I have that responsibility to do it by walking with the Lord, honoring him and obeying him in all that we do. We are salt and light. Salt preserves. And that's what you and I are doing when we live out our faith. All right, folks, out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. And don't forget the, the stand mug competition. Uh, text, okay? Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.